Tonight we're going to look at our third and final lesson from the book of, of Zephaniah, wanting to show the encouragement we can find from the saving or from the restoration of the remnant. We know as we look at uh, Zephaniah last time, we saw that they were going to be, the, the remnant was going to be saved by God and be restored and have you know that glory restored to them and, and worship, true worship being restored and those types of things. And so uh, that's what we'll be looking at this evening from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 9 and following. And we'll begin by looking at God's remnants and how they are cleansed and sanctified how they are cleansed and sanctified. You know, before you restore vehicles, the limited amount I know about it, is you get out all the bad stuff. You get rid of everything that's not worth anything, that will do no good, that's rotting, that's decaying, that needs to be thrown away. And really, if you look at the book of Zephaniah, that's what God does. He gets rid of all the wicked people. He brings judgment upon all the wicked and all those that have gone against him. But the remnants... That which is good to be restored, good to be maintained and brought back to glory with God are preserved. And we find that in verses 9 and nine and 10 here, the restoration of God's people. We look at verses 9 and 10 of Zephaniah chapter 3. He says here, For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language, that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. We find verses 9 and 10 that pure language, their lips, will praise God and not idols. That is, again, pure worship is being restored, is being brought back. No longer are they going to be looking to idols, but they are looking to God. He says in verse 9, that they may all call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. You know, sometimes when people say, hear that phrase, to call on the name of the Lord, they immediately jump to the idea of calling on Him to salvation. But it's interesting in verse 9 here, it's calling on Him to serve Him, to call upon Him, to return back to Him, to serve Him as a loyal and faithful people. Whose side they are, they are we find here also that whose side they are on is revealed by who they worship. Here they are pictured as returning to Him, here in verses 9 and 10. We find similar things took place in Josiah's time. If you drop back to 2 Chronicles chapter 34, beginning in verse 31, the Bible says, And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. That's 2 Chronicles 34, 31. And so what are they doing to the idea of restoring pure worship? We find that same idea there in Zephaniah, pure worship being restored. He says in verse 32, And he made all who were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin take a stand, so that the inhabitants of Jerusalem did, not, did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. He says in verse 33, that Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all that country, from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel. Again, you go back and look at Zephaniah. That's really what God did. But the abomination not only was idols, but it's those who had gone against God. He poured out his wrath upon the wicked. He would not repent. We saw earlier in Zephaniah how God did all he could. As we pointed out last week to try to bring them back. Some still refused. And what happened? He poured out his wrath upon them. 
And we find a similar idea here in verse 33, where Josiah mentions how uh, it's mentioned that Josiah removed all the abominations from the country. Well, God did the same thing in Zephaniah's time. But the abominations was not just the idols, but it was the people who worshipped them. He says, And made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not part from the fallen the Lord God of their fathers. And so the promise was to serve God in Zephaniah's time. The people were returning to him. You look next, we find in verses 11 through 13, a humble remnant does indeed remain, beginning in verse 11. In that day you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Verse 11 is very encouraging because what God is telling them is that your sins have been forgiven, indicating they had, been, they had repented of them, and they no longer should be ashamed of their deeds because those things are, are spoken of there as being in the past, not in the present. It's who they were. It's not who they are. They're in verse 11. And that day shall not be, be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgressed against me. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. This indicates, again, forgiveness from God. If you look at Psalm 78, verses 38 and 39, here the psalmist says, But he, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity. Well, that's what's happening there in Zephaniah's time as well. And did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away, did not stir up all his wrath. For you remember that they were but flesh, a breath that passes away and does not come again. Now, what did God do in Zephaniah's time? He forgave those who were humble enough to repent. Because we know that not everyone did. Thus, the, the idea of a remnant, meaning not everyone repented, but there was a small group who did remain. They were the ones who came back to God. A remnant came back, not everyone. What is left of the changed people? Look at verses 12 and 13. He says, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. That tells you what they were like before, doesn't it? They're no longer to do these things. He says, for they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. And so what happens? They are a changed people. When they come back to God, everything has changed. Their worship has been restored. The idea of that pure language being restored to them. They're coming back to God. Their sins are not to be something that haunts them because they indicate that they repented of those things. In verses 12 and 13, what happens? They are now a meek and humble people. It's interesting that prior to this, God had called upon them to humble themselves before him. They wouldn't do it, but the remnant did. Not everyone, but the remnant did. And they were that meek and humble people. And they were to trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant, he says here, shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall the deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Why is that? Because God was going to take care of them. Look with me at, at Isaiah chapter 19 and verse 22. Here the Bible says here, And the Lord will strike Egypt, he will strike and heal it. And they, and they will return to the Lord, and he, will, and he will be entreated by them and heal them. 
We find this same idea in Isaiah's time as they do in Zephaniah's time. Those who return to God are going to be healed. That is, in a spiritual sense, they're going to be they're going to have the protection of God because they are now returning to Him. He says in verse twenty-two, and He will be entreated by them and heal them. That is, they will come to the, to Him and He will heal them, indicating forgiveness of their sins, indicating them being restored to a right position before him. The same idea found in Zephaniah as well. We continue reading, we find that Israel was, we get a glimpse of in verse 13, but more so later where Israel is going to be comforted and also exalted even among the people. We look at verse 14 and following, we find the people rejoice and are not to fear. We saw that in the verse 13, but more so here as well. Seeing, O daughter of Zion, shout O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why are they to rejoice? Because they are back with God. They have repented of their sins. They have been, they have been humble enough to come back to God. Therefore, what is to follow in verse 14 is rejoicing, seeing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. He tells them that they should rejoice. And in verse 15, he tells them why. Because why their judgments have been taken away. They're going to face the wrath of God because they had repented. Repentance always changes the situation. And in verse 15, we are reminded of that. The repentance changes everything. And because he had repented, verse 15, the Lord will take away their judgments. He will cast out their enemy. The king of Israel, the Lord, will be in their midst, and they shall see no disaster. Why? Because repentance and returning to God changes everything. That's what we find there in verse 15. The Lord we see is with them, as we saw in verse 15, and nothing and no one is to be feared but God alone. Looking at verses 16 and 17. And that day shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God in, in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Verse 16 and 17, what is the theme of those two verses? Security from God. Safety from God. Verse 16, do not fear. Verse 16, let not your hands be weak. Don't be afraid. The Lord is with you. Be strong. We find similar words to Joshua. Don't we? When the Lord speaks to Joshua and tells him to be strong and very courageous. Back in chapter 1 of Joshua. In verse 17, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one. He makes it very clear who he's talking about. He says, the mighty one, the one true God, he says, will save, verse 17. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. When a child is upset, what do they do many times? They'll come to their parents, and their parents will try to calm them or quiet them down, right? To bring them, you know, calm down their... They're excited to bring down their excitement level and help them calm down. That's the same idea we find here in verse 17, but it's with God and with the faithful, right? He will quiet you 
with his love. The idea there, almost you can see the idea of someone putting their arms around a scared individual, but here it's God around his people. He will rejoice over you with singing. What do parents do sometimes, again, with a child who's scared? I don't sing, but I know others do to their children. Why is that? To calm them down when they're afraid, when they're scared. We find that same idea here in verse 17. Look at Proverbs 16 and verse 7. Here the Bible says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. What did God just say there in verses, really verses 14 through 17? Not to be afraid, right? The Lord is with you. The Lord will save you. We find that same idea here with Proverbs, right? When a man's ways please the Lord, which means when you're following God, he says he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That either being that what happens, God's going to provide you with safety. You may not be at literal peace with your enemies, but sometimes people know when to leave others alone, don't they? You know, when you're when you're in high school, there's always some individuals who you don't mess with. <laughs> there's some who you tease and harass, and some who you just leave well enough alone. Well, with God, his people, the ones, if you're wise, are the ones you leave alone. And that's the idea we find here in verse 11. He makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. God has always promised to be with Israel. We also find the same idea back in Exodus chapter 29 and verse 45. He says, I will dwell among the children of Israel and, I, and will be their God. The same idea we find here in Zephaniah, right? I will be with them. I will comfort them, he says, with, with his love, with his singing over them. We find the same idea here in Exodus 29, 45. He will dwell among them. That is, he will live among them. And he will be their God. We find in verse 18 and following that God's promise is renewed. In verse 18 and following. Some had missed worshiping God in the assembly. As you see there in verse 18. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly, who are among you, to whom it is a reproach, to whom its reproach is a burden, which means those who saw the assembly being abused, not being able to worship God correctly, there was a burden to them not to be able to do so. And no doubt we should feel the same way today. We're not able to worship as we'd like. We also should feel like we are missing out. Those who have who had been afflicted, then they will be dealt with. Me, those who had afflicted them will be dealt with by God. We find this idea also in verse 19. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame and gather those who were who were driven out. You think about that phrase in verse 19. I will deal with all who afflict you. Now think for a moment. In the past, as you look at the Old Testament, how has God dealt with people who had, who had afflicted his people before? In the time of Noah, he walked them off the earth. In the time of Moses, he brought his people out of bondage, and the afflicting army followed him. He washed them away with water, right? Those in Sonic and Gomorrah, he came out to messengers sent from God, and those who had corrupted their ways with, with uh, perversion. We find that God literally rained down fire and brimstone from heaven upon Sodom and Gomorrah. That's he has dealt with those who afflicted his people, including Lot and his family. And the list can go on and on and on. God knows how to deal with those who have afflicted and have abused the faithful. He says, I will save the lame and get those who were driven out. The idea that he's going to save the innocent 
thus his people, and drive out those who have afflicted them there in verse 19. We see there in the latter part of verse 19, the remnant will be praised everywhere they had previously been put to shame, and that God will bring his people back. Looking at verse 19 through verse 20, I will appoint, I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame, which means that roles are now reversed, right? It's like a bad sports team who suddenly becomes the very best. And oh, how that changes everything, right? Well, here the roles are reversed. They, were, they will find praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. It says, it says there, at that time I'll bring you back, even at the time I'll, I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. God will bring them back to where they ought to be. From being captivity, from being harassed, from being put to shame, to now they are people who, whom the world, whom those in that land at least, will know fully who they are. God was truly healing his people, and he was going to truly restore them. And we find that same idea in Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 22. He says, To return you backsliding children, I will heal your backslidings. Indeed, we do not come to you, for you are, for, indeed we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. We find that same idea there in Zephaniah, right? The idea of coming back to God. When we come back to God, that's when the blessings are restored, not before. We should not expect blessings before we come back to God. Thus, he says in verse 2, return you backsliding children. Children being a reference to those who once belonged to God, but then, now they have slid in the way. And now they're coming back. He says, and I will heal your backslidings, a reference to forgiveness as they repent, right? He says, indeed, we do, we, we do come to you, that is, those who are backsliding, for you are the Lord, our God. And that's the same idea we find here in Zephaniah. They were coming back to God. The remnant was coming back to God, and God was blessing them for doing so. Some lessons for us today. God restores the humble, the humble, because the humble repent, right? The arrogant don't repent. The arrogant says, what have I done wrong? Or I don't see anything wrong with that. How long the list goes, right? But the humble, God restores because the humble repent. Consider these words from 2 Chronicles 34, verses 26 and 27. But as for the king of Judah, who, who, you sent, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, and this man shall speak to him, thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place, against its inhabitants, and humbled yourself before me, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. That's just one example of someone being humbled before God, right? Or humbling themselves before God. Notice again when he says there, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against his place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me. That is what changed that whole entire situation. We too must be humble. The humble will, will be forgiven. The proud will be condemned. We find that throughout the, the Bible. The humble will be forgiven while the proud will be condemned. So God restores the humble and God also, as we find throughout this section, we saw it several times, that is that God is with the faithful. He is with the faithful. 
God cares for and provides for the faithful. We find this same idea in the New Testament, Matthew 6 and verse 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. The faithful will seek God first, and what happens? God provides for them, right? He will take care of us as we follow him. Since God is with the faithful, nothing is to be feared. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 2, it reminds us of similar teaching in the New Testament that we find in Ephesians 1 and verse 3. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. What does Ephesians 1 verse 3 say? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. In the Old Testament, blessings from the Lord, blessings from God, from those who follow God. In the New Testament time period, the blessings being for those who are only in Christ. The same concept, right? Blessings such as what was bestowed on the remnant are only found in God. Nothing has changed in this area from the Old Testament to the New Testament. If we want uh, blessings, including salvation from God, we must serve Him. When we fail to do so, we must repent as seen in Zephaniah. Because what changed those in Zephaniah's time was repentance. What changes us still today is repentance. If we're non-Christian, we're having obeyed the gospel, we know that repentance is part of God's plans. We talked about this morning. But also we know as a Christian, when we make mistakes, repentance is still part of God's plan, isn't it? We confess those things to God. We repent of those sins. And as the Bible tells us, He is faithful and just to forgive us of those things. First John 1 and verse 9. Nothing has changed in the Old Testament and New Testament. The concept of repentance being a necessity in order to be pleasing to God. This evening, as you think about the book of Zephaniah, we have seen, just like we have so many times in other minor prophets, that sin was the problem. Pride many times kept people from coming to God, and that God responded the same way each and every time. If we can learn one thing by something being repeated, it's that God does not change. People are in sin. He tries to encourage them to come out. Those who do are forgiven. Those who don't are punished. We see that throughout, not only the minor prophets, but throughout the Bible. Which should tell us when we have sinned in our lives, we have to repent of it before it is too late.